Welcome to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Thrive TV Show. I'm Lauren Parsons, your host, and today I am joined by Mark Black, all the way from Canada. Great to have you with me, Mark. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Great to be here. So nice to connect and just really looking forward to sharing your story. Just can't wait to share this with everyone. So today we're talking about a roadmap to resilience. We're going to chat about the essential tool to reduce stress and anxiety, how to leverage change to your advantage, and the secret to endless motivation. And just so you know, Mark is the only person in the world who has run a marathon with someone else's heart and lungs. So I also just want to invite you to share some of your story, Mark. But first, can I just ask you my this and that questions? Sure. So spots or stripes? Spots. Spots. Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Nice. Would you rather be invisible or be able to read minds? Read minds. Mm, Okay. Logical or creative? Creative. Nice. Do you rather be on a mountain top or on an island? Island. Okay. Uh, burgers or pizza? Pizza. Bath or shower? Shower. Okay. And city or countryside? City. Nice. Lovely to get to know you. So Mark Black is a heart and double lung transplant recipient turned four-time marathon runner. A resilience expert, coach, and author, Mark helps people to break through their limitations and transform adversity into a competitive advantage. Born with a life-threatening heart defect, Mark Mark underwent two open-heart surgeries before the age of one. He battled his condition and its limitations until 2002 when he was fortunate to receive a double heart lung transplant. And three years later, he became the only man in history to run a marathon with someone else's heart and lungs. And then he did it three more times. So Mark lives in Canada with his wife, Marise, and their three children. And I just can't wait to hear your story. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about your story? I mean, I know we don't have time for the whole thing, but what that was like and what that's meant for you. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I are both speakers. So, you know, when you ask someone to tell their story that you're, you're, you're playing dangerously, I, I will do my best <laughs> to give the short, the short version. Um, so yeah, born, born with an illness, had open heart surgery at, at one day old, I was medevaced from uh, where I was born to the local children's hospital and, and then grew up with congenital heart disease my entire life, which, which had varying limitations, but mm-hmm. um I was really, really fortunate that my two parents who, and, and now as a parent myself, uh, uh, and I'm 43. So I had, we had our first kids when I was 30. Mm-hmm. They had me when they were 23. And I think now about wow. the first month of my life and what that would have been like, even for experienced parents. And then to think that these two young kids really, yeah, um, what they go through uh, is pretty remarkable. And, and so I, I owe uh, much of how my life has turned out to, to their maturity and, and brilliant decision-making. But anyway, mm. um, ultimately I got to a point where a doctor said there's nothing else medically that we can do beyond surgery. So you're on every medication that we can try. Uh, and you know, my condition was just deteriorating uh, more rapidly than anybody was comfortable with. And the mm. doctor says, basically you can 
go home and we'll try and manage you as best as we can for as long as we can. We don't know how long that would be. We, if I had to guess, I'd give you 18 months to two years. And that was, I was, that was in 2002. I was, or 2001, I was 23 at that point. Wow. Uh, and option number two is, is try and get a transplant. And so obviously, or maybe not obviously, but obviously for me at 23, I wasn't ready to go home and quit. So I said, uh, let's pursue transplant. And, and it's not a, I, I wish, I hope someday we get to a point where it's just, you need one and you get one, but sadly it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to be evaluated to see if I was even a good candidate. And then uh, because the lungs are very fragile, the window of opportunity from the time they're retrieved until they're transplanted at that time was about six hours. It's now been extended to about 24 through Mm -hmm. some innovations, but that meant you have to live close to the surgical center. And I lived in a city, but a small city that was uh, about 1,400 kilometers roughly from, from the closest transplant center that could do lungs. So we had to move. Um, Dad came with me and left my mom and, brothers at home to try and keep their life normal wow. as normal as be under that circumstance. And I moved to Toronto and was put on a transplant list and was, I was on the list for almost a year, which is actually a short amount of time. Yeah, I was very lucky, mm-hmm. very lucky. Uh, but the last six months I was in hospital because my condition just was too fragile to, to leave me unsupervised essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I spent six months as an inpatient waiting, you know, kind of, passing my time waiting for the magic call to come mm-hmm. and uh september the 7th 2002 10 15 p.m i will remember the moment for the, the rest of my days wow my nurse my nurse came to the door and said there's a call for you at the nurse's station and uh i was in surgery seven hours later and here i am almost 20 years later so i'm so thrilled for you just yeah thank you for sharing that story i mean i can just imagine there are so many lessons from that you know around resilience which is what we're chatting about today so what were the key things that it's taught you mark well you know i think the first one that that applies is very relevant right now um ironically the the pandemic has been very good for business for me not that i would wish for it by any stretch mm-hmm. uh, but resilience is a hot topic these days and and one of the things that i've really been helping people with is the first two steps in the framework and they kind of go together. So I cover them as one mm-hmm. and it's, it's accept and adapt. So it's a, a squared. Um, we have to, we have to figure out how to delineate between what we control and what we don't. Right. Yes. Uh, we, we've we've yeah. heard control the controllables. Well, at a time of great stress, like we are in right now, that becomes paramount to your sanity, mm-hmm. <laughs> to your effectiveness, to your stress level, to everything. Right. And so what, all of us do to some degree when we're faced with some sort of stressful situation, certainly COVID being a, a universal example yeah. is we, we grasp for control because all of a sudden a lot of our control has been taken away. Right. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when we grasp for controlling things that, that we can't fix, it just causes this vicious cycle of anxiety and worry and fear and frustration. And we can really spiral very quickly. And so what we have to do instead is to say, okay, well, what parts of this situation do I control 100%? And no matter what's going on in the world, 
you are always totally in control of some things, right? Now, certainly what goes on between your ears, uh, but there are always some other things as well. It's a great time to be falling back on routines and habits, you know, those daily micro things that you control uh, no matter what, because those give you kind of the foundation and groundwork and, and comfort level to then move on from. Um, but then there are things that we influence, but don't completely control, right? So there's a whole yes. variety of things where if we're not careful, we say, oh, well, I can't solve this, so I can't do anything. Well, chances are good that there's areas that you can have impact on. It doesn't mean you control the outcome entirely, mm-hmm. um, but you have, you have some influence there. And I mean, that certainly applies to COVID, but it applies to being a parent or being a coworker or, you know, being a partner. Um, mm-hmm. We're only 50% of the equation, if, if that, uh, but we want to use the influence that we do have in a positive way, hopefully. Right. And so what I encourage people to do is to really, if you're anytime you're stressed or you're feeling kind of that overwhelmed sensation, as I certainly have over the last 18 months, and I'm sure many others have as well, is to really just sit down and, and map it out. I use a little concentric circle diagram, right? So kind of yeah. interlocking circles. And I say, okay, in the middle of this is me and I control what happens in the middle. Right. And then out from there, there's a layer where I have influence. What are the things that mm-hmm. I can do something about to improve the situation in some way? Um, and then finally, what's on the outside that I need to let go of now, super easy to say, harder to do. Right. Yeah. But at least yeah. when we have the awareness, we can begin the process. And, and what I, what I, encourage people to do really is to strive to shorten the gap between oh no and now what yeah. in there is yeah. anger frustration worry all of those emotions that are totally natural totally normal I don't know that we ever get rid of them mm-hmm. at least I haven't gotten to that stage yet but hopefully we can shorten the amount of time that we spend there, right so COVID hits oh no, what am I going to do? You and I are both professional speakers, make a living speaking in front of groups of people. Yeah. Now what, <laughs> right? How do I, in, I don't know about you, my, so we came back from um, a holiday with a family in Disney over March break. And we got in on a Sunday as everything was just, we got in like 12 hours before we would have had to isolate. So it was mm-hmm. right when everything was starting to happen. And that following Monday to Friday, my entire year's income disappeared in five days. It was just phone call, phone call, email, email, um, canceling, postponing everything. Mm -hmm. So there's naturally a like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because Mm -hmm. I had practiced this, instead of spending, I don't know, weeks or months in this spiral of, oh my gosh, the world is ending, what am I going to do? Life will never be the same. I quickly, still, it hit me, it took me a couple of days, um, to go from, oh no, to, okay, now what, how can I still serve clients? How can I still be relevant? How can I still do what I do in some way, despite what's happening? And so that now we're doing this and it's totally normal. We're well practiced at it now. And maybe you were before, but I wasn't. So yeah, I think it's been a learning curve for a while. It's yeah, I was using, I've been using Zoom for years, but I have learned so much over the last several years. And I have to say, Mark, I love your setup and, and I love that analogy of from oh no to now what you know and I think allowing yourself some time to process and acknowledge how you feel when the oh no hits but knowing at some point the sooner that you can move on to you know what's next or now what that's really powerful and I know you've gone ahead and set yourself up with an amazing home 
studio essentially so that you can deliver your your messages really powerfully which is fantastic we both we had a bit of a chat beforehand about some of the pros of that so I think that's part of it as well isn't it being able to acknowledge how we feel but yeah totally it's one of the key things that I share as well is focus on what you can control and I like the nuance that you add to that that it's not just what you can control and what you can't there's this area of influence as well you know it's like you can't control what comes on the news but you can choose how much you listen into that you can't control exactly what other people do or how your family members respond or how your friends or your colleagues respond but you can influence whether you you know continue those negative conversations and keep commiserating or whether you help them to move towards you know what's next what can we do what are we thankful for so interesting absolutely i mean because how many of us work yeah, i mean have where you work in an office for example how many of us have that person in the office who when they enter the room everything gets brighter and better yeah and, Right. And then how many of us also have somebody that we work with and they come into the room and the whole energy just kind of goes like this. Mm -hmm. So we all have influence, whether we're aware of it or not, we're impacting the people around us constantly. And so Mm -hmm. it's incredibly important to just, again, be aware of that and understand that, you know, I, I try and I err on the side of ownership. So I err on the side of saying more of this is in my control than not, because then I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it is important to recognize that there are some things that we're never going to fix. And the sooner you can get to say, I, I'm, I'm letting go of that because I need to, because that's how I'm going to be constructive, because that's how, you know, our, our two most precious and yet finite resources are our time and our energy. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, we can Certainly. get more money, we can get more of lots of other things, but you, there's only 24 hours in a day and no matter how much somebody will tell you that, or you watch somebody else and say, wow, they have endless energy. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we're going to spend, you're going to spend that little bank account every day, those 24 hours, you're going to spend them somewhere and your energy, your capacity to, to exercise your influence in the world, you're going to spend that every day. So doesn't it make sense to do that with intention? And if you're going to do it with intention, it means doing it investing those resources in the places where they have the biggest impact, leveraging them as best as you can. And that means not spending them on things you can't control because it's wasted time and energy. So I, that light bulb for me happened when I was in the hospital Mm -hmm. waiting for transplant and, and I was there for six months and literally I am there for two reasons. One, uh, I developed a rhythm, a rhythm abnormality in my heart that left me at high risk for sudden cardiac death is the medical term. It's not very complicated. Mm-hmm. Your heart goes really fast and it stops. Wow. There's no predicting factors. There's no warning signs. If you're in this precarious situation, it could happen at any moment. And so naturally that's a very anxiety ridden situation. Mm-hmm. And for weeks I lived very anxiously saying, what if, you know, what was that? My heart fluttered. What was that? What was that? You know, and being afraid mm-hmm. to go to sleep at night. And then at at some point, I just kind of realized, okay, I can continue to live this way and go crazy and be mentally and emotionally exhausted at the end of every day. And yet my my worry and anxiety has made zero positive impact on this situation. So I need to learn to be comfortable in the discomfort or okay with the unknown or however you want to phrase that so that I'm not wasting as much of my time and energy on that 
thing that I, that's hanging over me, but that I can't fix. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very easy to say, harder to do, but with practice, I think we can get better at, mm-hmm. you know, again, shortening that gap. That's great. I know you said you're going to share with us the number one tool to reduce stress and anxiety. I know we've been talking around this. Have you already shared this with us or is there something else that you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's shorten the gap, right? It's saying it's going from, oh no, to now what as quickly as you can. And so again, it's practice. And so I encourage people, awareness helps uh, be conscious of it. And then when it happens, you can practice. And I practice with the little things, right? So you get cut off in traffic and you have that that temptation to honk the horn or yell something or flip an index finger, a middle finger or whatever, whatever. I don't even know on that side of the globe if there's a different (laughs) signal, but in any case, um, whatever that urge is and can you catch yourself before you or right after and go, Oh, wait a minute. Next time I want it. Right. And so it's, it's a lot of it is about habits and kind of correcting habits and correcting thought patterns. But again, when we're aware and we work on it over time, we get better fair warning you get the better you get at this um then you have a new challenge which is especially if you have a partner Mm -hmm. my wife will often accuse me or not accuse me she will i can tell in her reaction she's frustrated with me because i'm not apparently as anxious and worried and concerned as she is as you should be perhaps yeah right and that can come off like because in our society we've linked caring and worrying together like they're the same thing yeah yeah right Mm -hmm. Right. And so if I, you know, we even say to people, I'm really worried about you or is a, a way of expressing our concern or our care. Yeah. My worry doesn't help you at all. Right. If I'm really worried about you, I should, you know, cause you're sick. Mm-hmm. Well, I can go and get you medicine or I can bring you chicken soup that shows concern and that shows care. And that actually helps you. Me sitting here worrying about you does nothing for you and nothing for me. So mm-hmm. it's that it's helping people again, be aware and practice that cycle of, so that when bigger things happen, again, we're still going to have that reaction, but it's, we spend less time in that nasty circle of frustration. Yeah. Cause I think as human beings, we, we all have this dislike of change to a greater or lesser extent that change and uncertainty are a challenge. And although when we really think about it, changes the only constant life things are always changing in perhaps subtle ways there is always uncertainty and so I think I think it's just been highlighted hasn't it through the vast and rapid change and the lack of control so tell me how do we leverage change how does someone leverage change to their advantage so that's when we get into the second piece about adaptation right so Mm -hmm. if we if we begin from a place of saying as you just said, change is inevitable and it's constant. Mm-hmm. So we can be angry and frustrated and resisted as much as we can, but it's going to happen regardless. So again, if we can shorten the gap and just get to the saying, okay, accept the change is going to happen and I'm not going to be able to fix that. What can I do to be more positive about it, receive it better, be more open to it, understand that change just is, whether it's positive or negative is mostly about how I receive it and interpret it. Um, The quality of our lives is ultimately determined by the quality of our thoughts and by the quality of our reactions to the events that happen to us. It isn't, you know, the expression often goes, um, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually more than that. It's about what meaning do you assign to it, right? What does this event mean? 
Um, mm. Pandemic hits. Does this mean the world is conspiring against me? And and as a speaker, my my career is over, and it will never you know be the same. Or does it mean this is a a big shift, a mm-hmm. big change? But perhaps there are ways to adapt, which is what we talk about next. Mm-hmm. That will make it. It's going to be different. That's the thing. So again, mm-hmm. we as we we sometimes confuse caring with worry. We also sometimes con- confuse change with negativity when change is just change could be positive could be negative could be whatever we decide it's going to be and so are there opportunities here and the answer is there always are if you're looking Mm -hmm. Um, i found opportunities in a hospital bed waiting for a transplant there were there were gifts in that situation there were positive things that happened that would not have happened otherwise not in spite of but because of being there doesn't yeah. always mean, and I would not, and I would say this doesn't, you know, I, people will say, if I had to do it all over again, I do it exactly the same. If I could avoid being sick, I would avoid being sick. It's not anything I would wish on anybody. Having said that, that wasn't the choice. The choice was, could I find something good in it? Could I use it in some way constructively? And the answer mm-hmm. is, I don't think there's anything you can go through where that isn't the case, just harder in yeah. some cases than others. Absolutely. So, Right. How can we adapt to not only just survive? Maybe at first that's the only goal. Like let's just keep our head above water. Mm-hmm. But maybe we create something new, or or we grow as a result of this, so that we come out better on the other side. Yeah, so I think that's so true. Yeah, and that's the opportunity that we have, isn't it? I constantly am thinking. We know that when we go through challenging times, that that is when we stretch, when we grow. That is what builds our our resilience, and. I've been talking to a lot of leaders lately about how can we fast forward our mindset and our perspective to think, you know, two or three years, we will look back on right now and think about all the things that we learned and all the ways we adapted. What if we could fast forward our thinking so that we can start to apply those lessons right now? And I just love hearing your perspective on it. And it's so true. Sometimes we need to be reminded that there are more than one way to look at things. And so, yes, we can look at all the negatives of lockdown you know right while we're recording this we're in a resurgence lockdown in New Zealand we've got this heightened uncertainty again and there's a lot of fear-mongering and doom scrolling as they call it going on so you can either choose to engage with that but at the same time we're also hearing some stories and I think the voices are almost nervous to come out because they feel alone but some stories of people realizing wow actually spending more time with my family and reflecting on what's important has actually been a real gift. So I'm not trying to say that it's all roses because it has certainly been challenging and I've discovered that I definitely don't have boundless energy, even though people sometimes might think that because it is mentally and physically and emotionally exhausting at times. But we can also choose whether we want to look for the positive and and look at how we're going to adapt. So I love that. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, again, we... We adapt, what, often what I share with people is you're going, again, you're going to adapt whether you want to or not. Yeah. Because you have to, to survive, right? That's the, that's a natural law in the, you know, in the animal kingdom, animals adapt constantly or they become extinct. And we're the ultimate adaptation machines. You think about how much we have changed even from a generation ago. You know, mm-hmm. if you told your yes. grandparents 
and or explain to your grandparents or great grandparents about the iPhone that you have in your hand and it would sound like science fiction to them, yeah. right? It's like the movie Back to the Future, you know, when we were kids, you know, you might know that movie worldwide, actually video calling with people like, wow. (laughs) And now it's just every day kids are growing up with this. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but so that's, I often use this example because if you're of the generation where you remember before cell phones existed, and I think you and I are both in that age category, you will, we also remember that there were people who when they came out said, I will never have one of those things. And I don't understand why we need them. And you know, my father-in-law until very recently didn't have any phone outside of the phone on the wall in his house. Did I? And then, yeah. And then, but then finally, and what it was, was grandkids. Grandkids was the thing that made them cave and get a phone so that they could do video conferencing and thank goodness for it during the pandemic when we couldn't see each other. Um, but it just reminded me again that we all ultimately adapt. And so I believe it's to your advantage to do it sooner rather than later, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to do it. So why not do it proactively rather than reactively? And that's, it looks like all, it takes all sorts of iterations depending on the context. Mm-hmm. I think the reason a lot of us resist it is because typically we hear that word ad- adapt or, uh, or, or transformation. And we think it's this big, huge, overwhelming, massive thing. Mm-hmm. It can be. It can also be a series of little tweaks that cumulatively create a pretty significant change. So yeah, in the hospital, I was surrounded by, I mean, I remember walking into this, we've all been in rooms in a hospital room before. Eight by eight, 10 by 10, I don't know, not a big room, four beige walls yeah. and a little end table and a bed. And this was going to be home for an indefinite amount. You didn't know of- how long, yeah. And so very quickly, I realized this was not an environment conducive to mental health, to positive thinking, to a lot of things that I wanted to, to have. And yet, I, I don't have a choice but to be there if I want the outcome that I'm trying to achieve. So there's an opportunity or there's a, a temptation there to feel victimized and to feel like a prisoner had the moment of that. And then said, okay, but now what, what can I do? What is in my control? How can I adapt given the restrictions to make this environment more conducive to the experience I want to have? And that didn't mean this massive, I'm not going to take off and go to another country. I'm not going to go back home, but can I bring in my own clothes? So we brought all of my clothes in so that I could wear jeans and a t-shirt instead of a hospital gown. So I looked more like me when I looked in the mirror, little change, but psychologically had an impact. Brought in my bedspread and my pillows and my blankets. So the bed felt like my bed. Brought in um, a TV and a VCR because it was <laughs> pre-DVD technology. Yes. But something to be kind of entertained. And we brought in better, you know, board games and cards and other things as well. And we decorated the walls. And so by the end of the, the, that transformation, a couple of weeks, it felt like a bedroom. My, my mom called it the dorm room because I was, you know, freshly out of college. Uh, and so... Again, not a massive, I haven't uprooted myself. I haven't given up on this process, but by transforming some things within my control, it transformed my experience of the same event. Mm -hmm. And so as we go through this period, can you ask yourself, how can I make little shifts to my habits, to my routines, to my immediate environment, whatever it might be, that makes me feel better, more productive, more um, Mm -hmm. safe or whatever it is, more conducive to being the kind of person I want to be. 
Yeah. And I love what you talked before about you mentioned micro habits right at the start and those little micro habits, micro routines give that sense of control when so many things are out of control. And Mark, I know that you speak a lot about motivation. In your opinion, what is the secret to endless motivation? So it's actually, it's, it's kind of unfair because it's a two-part, it's a two-part secret. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> the biggest piece, because people will say to me all the time, how did you mentally, not physically, but how did you mentally survive yeah. the waiting? And I said, I had a clear and compelling vision of a future that was better than today. Good. Right. So you call it a goal, call it a vision, call that whatever you want to call it. For me, it has, you have to have something you are working towards that is big enough for you that matters enough to you that whatever gets in the way doesn't really matter. Right. Mm So uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is sexist, but it's he, the person who has a big enough, why can endure anyhow. And so basically it means exactly that when you know what you want and what you want matters enough to you, the how will figure itself out. And you will climb mountains and crawl ditches and do whatever you need to do to make it happen because it matters that much to you. Mm-hmm. I usually use the example of parenting because parents get that. If you're not a parent, think of another example, I guess. But that's the example that's, that I think of all the time because I think, what would you not do? Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. Where's my line where I go, well, this is just too hard. Sorry, kids, <laughs> you're on your own. Right? Uh, it, there's always, because the why, because my love for my children and my desire for them to be the best people they can be is so big that I can overcome the how of day-to-day parenting, which can be incredibly challenging, yeah. is somehow manageable. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's how I got through the hospital. It's how I run marathons. I would just, you in every marathon that I've run anyway, mm-hmm. you get to a point usually around three quarters of the way, four fifths of the way where you question your sanity and how like, why am I doing this? This really hurts. This is uncomfortable. And I'm not sure I want to keep doing this anymore. And, and that, that point also happens, I think, in any goal that you pursue, it's really easy to be motivated and excited at the beginning. It's why when you go to the, you know, to the fitness facility on January 3rd, it's really busy. Um, But it's not easy to be motivated in the messy middle. Right. Mm-hmm. It's also pretty easy to be motivated at the end when you can see the finish line. Yeah. It's easy to get motivated then. But in that messy middle, it's easy to forget why you're doing this and it's easy to fall off the wagon and it's easy to just quit. And that's when the clearer the vision is and the more compelling it is, the easier it becomes to just say, I'm going to get it out. I'm going to do what mm-hmm. I need to do. Yeah. So good. And I, you know, linking back to that why, it is so true as a parent, you have this big why. And I think as a business leader, for those in the workplace, as a leader, are you constantly reinforcing the why of why your people do what they do every day? I think we can can never overdo that. You know, it's something that we've got to keep linking back to in all of our communication because how else do we really motivate our team members to know that they're part of this bigger whole? So they lean into Absolutely. it. Yeah, and 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 I know that it's challenging depending on the size of the team you manage, but ideally, you know the individual whys of each of those people yes. because you can't assume that they're the same. Yeah. Right. Um, Certainly we have an organizational why that we all should be working towards, but individually those people each have their own why for why they show up every day. And it's probably not, hopefully it's not just that you pay them. Right. And so often you see business leaders 
make the mistake of trying to motivate people with that carrot of you get the, you know, it's a bonus structure or it's a commission or it's whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, nope. I haven't met anybody that doesn't like to have some more money, but often that's not enough because it's not the real driver behind why they do what they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. So you said there's two parts to this motivation piece. So having the why and then. Right. And, then the sec- and then the second is the daily execution piece, right? So it's, it's the patience of understanding that the progress is slow and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? That it, it's going to take time. And if you measure, um, I, say, I like to say measure behavior day to day, but measure results month or quarter to quarter because mm-hmm. results take time. You've got, to, you've got to hold yourself accountable every day because you've got to execute every day or the results don't come. So monitor your behavior daily. That's the habits. That's the executing on your sales calls or whatever that looks like in your context. Um, you know, in the, in the marathon example, it's making sure you're doing the training that day or doing the stretching or whatever you're supposed to do that day. But I can't look back one day later and say, well, I did a really hard training yesterday. I should be faster today. Or I made 10 sales calls yesterday and I haven't made a sale yet. Mm-hmm. But we live in a culture where we're encouraged to do that because we expect instant results all the time, right? And so it's developing that habit of consistency and then the patience to say, the results will come as long as I'm executing properly. Mm-hmm. Mm, fantastic. I just feel like we could chat all day, Mark, but I have one other question I just want to ask. And that is, what was it like, particularly in your first marathon? I've not run a marathon. I've only done half marathons. So I don't know that feeling of that three-quarter hitting the wall. But what was it like crossing the finish line of your first marathon? Can you share that with us? Yeah, it's a pretty spectacular experience. So I have to I have to share that my first marathon was run in a hurricane. I mean, well, a very strong tropical storm. I don't think it quite, wow. the wind didn't quite get to hurricane level, but it was 120 kilometers an hour. So the race was postponed for two hours. We almost didn't run. It's a mm-hmm. 20 minute story that I won't get into, but ultimately um, I, I almost didn't run at all. And then I got to, again, about three quarters of the way through. And again, much slower than I planned because of the weather and the wind and a multitude of factors. And so I'd been running about four hours and I got to this stretch about six or seven kilometers from the finish line. And I was just, I was done. Like I just, I vividly remember stopping on the side of the road thinking, okay, I'll sit down on the curb and then right down, right in the downtown of the city, I'll sit down on the curb and I'll wait for some volunteer to find me because it's not going to happen. Like I just don't have what it takes. Mm-hmm. And at that moment I looked at my hand and on my hand, I'd written myself some things to remind me of why I was doing what I was doing. And I knew then that I couldn't quit. I just didn't know how I was going to get from where I was to the end. And it's then that I realized that it's, it's one step. It's, it's simple as that is. It's daily execution. It's one step at a time. It's okay. So I, at that moment, all my brain could handle was the next step. I was willing to commit to one more step. And so I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I'll reevaluate. So I did that. And I said, okay, I think I can do another one. And I negotiated with myself for two kilometers, one step at a time until I started to feel a little better. And I said, okay, I'll run to the next light pole. And we'll, we'll see if I still want to keep going. And it was like a series of mind games to, to get to the finish line. But then getting to the finish line, and I finished like nearly the last person. But the medal goes around your neck. 
and and they they you know they say something like Mark Black, you're a marathoner. I forget how they said it on the loudspeaker, but I just thought no one ever gets to take that away from me now. Like mm-hmm. that's something I I get to have here, and the medal. I don't even know where the medal is anymore, but the the lessons that I learned on that last eight kilometers, mostly about keeping promises to myself. I, I fall back on that weekly to this day. Mm, amazing. Um, it's so inspiring. And I'm just, as I'm listening and I'm picturing, there will be people listening to this right now who are, are running their marathon and whether that's challenging time in your business and your relationship with your children and your career, with your health, whatever it is. And I love that. Just that, what can you do to take one step and trust that, it's going to follow from there. And I love, you know, that you just shared what that was like. And and at some point it did get better. And, you know, we have to have faith that at a point things are going to get better globally. So thank you so much, Mark. I just love speaking to you. I so appreciate your time. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best place to do that? Um, So markblack.ca, because I'm in Canada, markblack.ca is the, the website and, uh, markblack.ca slash free book will give you a link to the download so you can download. I usually have the book here to do the little, but anyway, uh, a copy of my book for, for all of you. I mean, you can get it on Amazon too, but if you want the, the ebook, you can just download it there for, for free. Yeah. Fantastic. And it is an amazing book. It's called from the heart. Is that right? No, live life from the heart. And it's an amazing like 220 page book yeah go ahead and download that or grab a copy so mark just to finish up if there's one final thing you could share with our listeners today what would that be uh oh my gosh you know if one of the exercises that i have my my coaching clients do and and in large audiences i even do with with speaking audiences is i ask them to think about their proudest moment or a proud moment in your life something you're proud of might be personal, it might be professional, it doesn't matter. Um, something that you think about and you go, yeah, I'm really pretty kind of proud of myself for having done that. And once you've thought of that thing, then I ask you, was that easy or was it hard? And inevitably, it was challenging. So we don't, we're not particularly proud of the easy things because they're not particularly notable, right? And so then I say, okay, what, how, how are you better because of that? What did you learn because of that? And inevitably, there are lessons. So I think that's a powerful tool to remind you in times like we're in right now to just trust that that's going to happen again, right? That if you're paying attention and you're intentional about it and you're putting in the effort, that good things come from challenging times. Often amazing things come from challenging times. And if nothing else, challenging times produce strong people. And so as long as you are engaged and doing your best, you're going to have bad days. We all do. But ultimately, you are going to come out of this a better leader because of what you have learned through this experience. And you'll be able to carry that wisdom with you in your leadership journey forever. And that will be invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so be looking for those lessons. You know, journaling is a great way to do that. But, but just understand, again, that, that even though we all have days where we're like this, I wish this would just be over, um, you are picking up wisdom and experience that will be invaluable for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Such wise words. Mark, thank you so much. So loved speaking with you. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Thank you to everyone that's listened in. That's another episode of the Thrive TV show. Go out and thrive.
Thank you for listening to The Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons. Visit thrivetvshow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode.